This podcast contains spoilers, explicit language, and is not meant for anyone younger than 13. Do not harass any of the names mentioned in this episode. The Ultimate Countdown to No Way Home concludes with a Tom Holland double feature in John vs. Spider-Man, Homecoming and Far From Home. Welcome back to John vs. Film, and today we continue the Spider-Man Marathon, where I'm tackling multiple movies and single episodes, which I genuinely don't like, but whatever, I'm still doing it, but thankfully next week I should be talking about Far From Home. No, not far from home. I mean, no way home. <laughs> no, we're talking about far from home in this episode along with homecoming. You know, be, but I, I'm very much excited to watch No Way Home when it comes out. And just a reminder, I'm recording this almost a month ahead of time. Like, uh, ahead. Like, not ahead of time of this episode, but... A month before, like almost a month before the movie No Way Home comes out, I it is after the main trailer came out with the five villains featuring Sandman, Lizard, Electro, Doc Ock, Green Goblin, and of course the most famous villain of the Sinister Six, J. Jonah Jameson. But anyways, instead of talking about my excitement for No Way Home, we got to talk about the two movies that come before No Way Home. And that is Spider-Man Homecoming and Far From Home. Now, I'm not including everything with Spider-Man and the MCU. I... I'm mostly focusing on the Spider-Man movies because the thing is Spider-Man also appeared in Civil War, Infinity War and Endgame, but and they aren't they are not Spider-Man movies. Spider-Man's not really the focus in either of those three movies. He but I think like Infinity War, he has a lot to do, but not so much in Civil War and Endgame, other than help in the in one of the climactic battles, whatnot. You know, and I don't think there's much sense in talking about them and leading up to a Spider-Man movie. But I guess you know, in, in some extent, they are important to Spider-Man and the MCU. So I do want to mention them. But another reason why I'm not tackling those other movies is that 
that's five movies for one episode. I was already pushing it with the Sam Raimi trilogy. All right. I, I, I want to not do five movies in one episode. That's that's a lot. But anyway, as we have going on with this format, I just split it up into what I like and what I dislike. And I've started this practice of taking notes and it's been beneficial so far. But yeah, so let's get to it. What do I like about Homecoming and Far From Home? And I'm going to be talking, you know, just grouping them together like I did with the amazing films. But the first thing on the list I like is that I do like Tom Holland's take on Peter Parker and Spider-Man. Now, the thing is, I know it's been like a hot debate, and I even joke messaged this to my one of my friends, where I said, "Broke Tom or Toby or Andrew are the best Spider-Man," and woke being that each actor does an amazing job at their own take of the character, and I fully believe in that second statement. The yeah, I. I don't think there really is a best Spider-Man in my opinion. It's more of... It's a definitely a subjective matter. I think it's... Like us trying to make it an objective. Like, oh, one of them's got to be the best. No, it's very much subjective. It's depends on our taste. And also nostalgia. Nostalgic plays along with it. But watching these movies... They're different takes on the character. So I don't feel comfortable in saying, oh, I think Tom's the best Spidey, or Toby's the best Spidey, or Andrew is the best Spidey, because they all do something different. They all have their own take on the character. And it just depends on you, on what you like. But here, Tom Holland does a great job with this take of a very inexperienced superhero, this very young, energetic, wants to, you know, be part of the big boys. And he does bring that to the table. Because unlike the other two movies where Spider-Man was, say, the only superhero movie, Spider-Man, these movies, he's just another superhero. There's been superheroes before him. And that's more aligned to the comics funny enough but anyway yeah he definitely brings this very young inexperienced hero who hasn't been doing the hero business for too long and and it's different than like say like the origin movies we got when we saw him from ground zero because it's like a because there's a thing like the movies and the Raimi trilogy and the Mark Webb duology, they kind of like there's a longer progression of time, so to speak. There's more that goes on, and we see more of the development in a single movie. Whereas this one, you know, it slows down, like it's more constraint i guess not much 
happens, you know. I, I, I'm trying to find the best way to describe this, forgive me, but I'm just saying, like, the previous movies, they kind of just clump every, you know, like Spidey graduating from high school into college, you know, they kind of just, everything's more constrained, you know, but there's, we see a longer duration of time in those movies, whereas this one's just a short period of time in each of these movies and we explore more into like Peter Parker's high school life than we did in the previous movies funny enough but yeah so there's that (laughs) Uh, even with the notes I'm having trouble finding things to talk about no not really not things to talk about just how to talk about it but yeah and even his Spidey I like that you know he's like, there's this insecurity to the character, which Tom translates very well. But he he's definitely very quippy. He, he spite he is very quippy. But at the same time, he's like... He thinks... Uh, he, he tries to bite more than he can chew. Another thing I like about the MCU Spidey, I'm going to focus on Homecoming for this next bit is how low stakes it is compared to the rest of the MCU movies where there was some pretty big, you know, event that's like, Oh God, a lot of people are going to be in danger. Oh no. Like this is really bad news. I think the closest we've seen to kind of a low stake is Ant-Man if I'm not mistaken, where that was just, you know, that was genuinely a heist movie. But even then, that had some sort of high stakes with, oh, this really powerful, the pin particles are going to be sold to Hydra. That's that's bad news. That's very bad news. Here, though, the stakes are, if Peter doesn't do doesn't stop the vulture the vulture is just going to steal stuff from tony granted you know he's going to sell a lot of those devices as weapons to gangs and that's that's bad but it's definitely not a world threatening you know event it's very much a more neighborhood threat or just yeah it's it's bad, don't get me wrong. It's just not Thanos level threat or even Red Skull level threat. Like it, it's just a low threat level, which works well with the Spider-Man character because the one thing that Spider-Man does different than like a lot of the like rest of the Marvel superheroes, like the big I'm talking about the big guys, uh like Iron Man, Cap, Fantastic Four, X-Men, is that those guys, they deal with more grandiose, you know, like very big threats, where Peter Parker, in a lot of iterations, he generally does stick with the steep, with the streets. Man, I'm just getting ton- tongue-tied in this episode. 
wow, I don't know what's up with this. <laughs> but yeah, in Homecoming, you know, they portray that Spidey, he stops, you know, just, yeah, he goes, fights the supervillain, but he also takes it down the street level and stops a mugging or stops a bike being stolen. You know, he's that very low-key, you know, superhero. And there are heroes in the, you know, in the Marvel comics and in the MCU that definitely are more street level, like Daredevil. Difference being is that they're more vigilante, not so much superhero. If you get what I mean, like they represent more of a Batman archetype. Or Spider-Man doesn't fit that vigilantism role, per se. But he fits more of the superhero role. I mean, because he's more colorful. He's more, you know, energetic. You know, and he's very much more empathetic than a lot of the vigilantes we get. But yeah, that was definitely, I think, Homecoming's strong point is how it takes you know it just scales everything down a bit to street level and that in turn makes it relatable next point i have here is i absolutely love the vulture and mysterio they are both fantastic villains like okay i know they did the whole twist villain thing and with mysterio like Oh, this this good guy was actually a super, you know, villain. What a twist! I mean, that's Disney's favorite type of villain is the twist villain. But I think they executed that very well with Mysterio. And I guess I'm focusing on Mysterio right now because I just got done talking about Homecoming. So let's go on Mysterio. And I like what they did with this character, how they turned Quinn back. From a special effects coordinator or director or whatnot to someone who used to work for Tony Stark. I like that angle. I like how he was the one that created the holograph, you know, equipment for Tony Stark in Civil War. I think that was a smart choice on Marvel's end. It makes it it makes a lot more sense for someone like that to use holographs, you know. Yeah, holograms, I mean, not, not holographs, holograms, you know, hologram equipments, you know, like really advanced stuff than just, you know, a film special effects, you know, stuntmen or whatever. That 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 was one of those like, yeah, you push into suspense of disbelief, but here it works. And I really like that Mysterio is not just Quen Beck. Quen Beck is definitely the ringleader. He's the face. He's the mastermind. You know, so he is Mysterio, but there's more to Mysterio than just Quen Beck. There's a, a whole team behind Mysterio to make this illusion work. And I love how they emphasize the illusion aspect of Mysterio. And I think they portrayed that well. I love how Mysterio's real suit is actually a sort of like a mocap suit kind of thing. Some, you know, actors use for motion capture. 
something similar to that. And I love how he still has his own fishbowl thing, even with that, even with the motion capture suit. I, I, I like that. That was a bit clever. And it's definitely like he's also like a very charismatic villain and very manipulative. He, he he was very much manipulating Peter from the get-go to get Edith. And he manipulated Peter after Peter find, uh, you know, found out, oh shit, Quinn Beck is a fake. He's a phony. I gotta get it. And I just love that. It's like... He, Quinn Beck, brings this illusion aspect on such a grand scale. Like, making a few... Make it so in the trailers are like, oh, Spider-Man's fighting an Avengers-level threat, a world-ending threat, you know, of the elementals, and this Mysterio is not a supervillain. He's, you know, a hero from a multiverse, an alternate Earth, and yeah, and even the climactic battle at the end, it wasn't really Avengers-level threat. It was definitely a city-wide threat, but it wasn't a world-ending threat. So yeah, there's just a lot to uh, Mysterio I like there. And just how he's like an, an unstable genius who wants revenge and gathered this whole team of ex-Stark employees to make this charade work. And it's just, I think that was a very well-executed version of Mysterio. The master of mysticism. <laughs> but the Vulture, on the other hand, is also, I think, MVP. Like, Spider-Man, in general, is known for having one of the best rogues galleries of all time next to Batman. Like, legit, super great. So I think part of that is the reason why the villains in the MCU Spider like movies are some of the best MCU villains we've ever gotten. But on the other hand, is how they execute them, and I like this take on the Vulture. I like this reinvention of the Vulture because here, like versus like comics and other media, the Vulture was. Sort of, you know, he's an old bald guy who f invents a flight suit and looks like a vulture, and that's why he's known as the Vulture. But in this movie, Adrian Toons is someone who got screwed over by the 1% by Tony. <laughs> uh, and what he does to try to make ends meet at first is to by stealing you know high tech stuff from after the battles and the reason why he would be called a vulture here is more in line to how a vulture actually is because the vultures aren't like they're not very they're not gonna they're scavengers that's how they get their food they wait for prey you know to die they 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 eat leftovers. Their primary, you know, deal is is leftovers. They love leftover food, even though I 
I personally like my food fresh, but to each their own. But going back to the Vulture and Homecoming, he is a scavenger because he's stealing from the you know all these equipment from after the battles. That makes a lot more sense. And this version of Vulture is also a lot more intimidating than a lot of versions of the Vulture where he is the old bald man in a flight suit. The only other version of Vulture that is more intimidating than MCU Vulture, in my opinion, has to be Spider-Man Noir. I, I won't say why, but if anyone who's read the Noir comics knows or even has played Spider-Man Shattered Dimensions, they would know that Vulture is a monster. Legit monster. But anyway, going back here, he so this vulture is great. You know, they reinvent from because he looks like a vulture to oh, because he acts more like a vulture, being a scavenger and whatnot. They also made it so he is a actually a very successful villain at the start of the movie with doing this gig for eight years under the radar. You know, that's the thing. We haven't seen a lot of very successful villains in the MCU, in my opinion. Or, like, I mean, sure, we've seen ones that's like, oh, they've done a lot. I think, I mean, Thanos, of course, he he was pretty successful. I mean, he accomplished his goal. But, and of course, we got... Uh, Zola? No. No, uh, the villain in Civil War. I'm trying to think right now. It's, ah, it's right there, but Purple Mask Dude went, (laughs) you you guys know what I'm talking about, hopefully. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, see, that's a problem with MCU villains is that they can be forgettable sometimes. But what sucks is that I know the villain's name. It's just not coming to me right now. But what I mean, though, is the Vulture in this MCU, he has accomplished his goal. And he's successful. He's doing a good job. So it's very much like when Spidey defeats the Vulture here, it's a dethrone of the Vulture. But one thing that makes Vulture, like the Vulture and Mysterio great as well is that they are relatable. Vulture more than Mysterio because Mysterio, he, he, he felt wrong, you know, and he was definitely an employee of Stark, you know, and felt miffed that he got let go, but he's also an unstable guy who is very manipulative and you can see that, yeah, yeah, I think Tony was right to fire you. Where you feel, you can feel for Adrian because he was definitely a construction worker, or I don't remember the position he had exactly, but he was definitely like you feel that he definitely got screwed over. Like this wasn't, uh, oh, yeah. I can understand why you're mad, but at the same time, I can understand Tony's position. Here, though, it's like, 
Yeah, Tony kind of kind of made the villain here. He he definitely set things off because you feel for Adrian Toomes, you know, like having this big job and being like, "Oh shoot!" Or, oh wait, I can say shit because I rated this podcast explicit. But yeah, he's like, "Shit, the." F- you know, what the hell, I'm going to lose all my money because damage control stepped in. I, I don't know what to do to support my family, to support all my team's family. Whatnot. So they turned to criminal, like a life of crime, because they got screwed over in life. You know, they had no uh, nowhere else to turn, really. You know, and you definitely get that sense of reliability there. Anyway, I gotta keep going. I mentioned already a little bit that how these movies ex- like explore more of Peter's school life. And yeah, even though people tend to complain that, oh, he's a teenager, I want to see Peter in the college, you know, why are you bringing him back to high school? Is that the only other Spider Man movie before Homecoming that? Had Peter fully in high school throughout the entire movie was Amazing Spider-Man one. So, out of the five movies before Homecoming, Peter was in high school full, you know, throughout the entire duration in only one of them. But besides that, it's like I guess I just like that. There's that. Not that much progression of time, I guess is what I'm getting at. I mentioned that before. Uh, I'll save the next point for last on the likes because I think it's a big one. I think it's one that people can misunderstand maybe a little bit. I'll explain a bit why. Uh, I really like the traffic light scene in Homecoming. If you don't know what I'm talking about, it's the scene where Vulture discovers Peter Parker's identity. Uh, by the way, I forgot to mention. Well, Mysterio's twist villain thing was like, yeah, yeah, Disney likes the whole twist villain thing. Here, though, I love the twist because it's not so much like, oh, surprise, this guy's actually a villain. No, we knew he was a villain from the beginning of the movie. But here, the twist was, oh, He's Liz's dad. Oh, it was it was honestly quite a good twist, in my opinion. I did not see it coming, but of but there was clues led up to it. You know, it it was a genuine good twist, where you know it just makes sense. Where it's like you know, in hindsight, it's like yeah, now it makes sense, but at the same time, it wasn't really uh, the thing is it's like oh I'm doing this for my wife and kid isn't really like uh, like that's something a lot of parents you know are with you know in general you know so it's not uncommon and we didn't really see much of Liz's family so we just assumed it played with our assumptions what a great twist. But anyway, I really like that traffic light scene and the lighting. You know, and just that tense feeling of 
you know, Vulture putting the pieces together and discovering, oh, my daughter's date to the homecoming dance is actually the kid who's been screwing with uh, my business. What a great scene. I mentioned briefly as well as I like the POV that the Spidey movies have. You know, they take it definitely more street level average Joe point of view of the whole Marvel Cinematic Universe. I really like that. Uh, what else? Oh, I think Ned and MJ are really great supporting characters. Give me one second. I gotta get a drink of water. Very good. Very good. I'm not editing it out. I'm not editing anything. Wow. Water. I guess this is the reason why I'm tongue twisting. <laughs> but yeah, I'm not going to edit anything out. I think editing anything out would just ruin the experience. Or maybe make it better. But this isn't, this isn't a video essay. This is a podcast. This is essentially a live stream with the option to edit things out. But anyway, I really like Ned and MJ as supporting characters. Uh, especially MJ in Far From Home and Ned in Homecoming. I think they work great as kind of Peter's small group of friends. Uh, I really... I, I do like this version of MJ. I can't really say... If I prefer it over the Quince, you know, Kristen Dunst performance or portrayal, just because it, even though she is named MJ, it's definitely not Mary Jane Watson. It's a different take of MJ, but one that I like. This is a unique take of MJ. I think it fits well in this movie. Oh, these two movies, and that he, he definitely fits. The like a role of a best friend, a nerdy best friend who's like, who I'm glad that you know he finds out that Peter's Spidey and he's the guy in the chair. Everyone likes the guy in the chair. Ah, <laughs> uh, what else? I going back to Far From Home. I really like how they gave Happy. A lot, like more to do in that movie. He felt more fleshed out as a character in Far From Home than any of the previous MCU movies, in my opinion. Granted, I haven't watched Iron Man 3 recently, but he definitely had a lot more to do than Iron Man 1. He was okay in Iron Man 2, but again, didn't have too much to do, but he was definitely more of a character in Iron Man 2. Iron Man 3 is when he starts to shine. And we see him in... I don't remember if he's in Civil War. I don't think he was, but... I like seeing him in Homecoming, but I thought he was... A bit too much of a jerk... At the beginning, but I can understand. But I kind of like how he comes around at the end. But I really love his... You know, him in Far From Home. Where he's come to... Grown on... Like, where he has had Peter grown on him. And it's just like, he really, like, supports and cares for the kid. Uh, 
one thing I like from these movies is the homemade suit. I I genuinely love the homemade suit. For those you don't know, it's the one that's that's the hoodie with the ripped sleeves and yeah, it's very much it definitely feels something Peter would make on a very very low budget. You know, that like I think that's the best portrayal of that's what happens for like Spidey, like Peter Parker making a Spider-Man suit. That's what's going to happen. I like the design. I think it's one of the best suits in the movies. Don't hate me. And then going on to the next point, I really love the humor in these movies. I think these are pretty funny movies. I love the scene when Ned's trying to help Peter, you know, chase down the vulture at the end of Homecoming. And Ned's in the library, he gets caught. And here's how great Ned is as a friend. Teacher's like, so, so what you doing in the library instead of at the dance? And Ned, he, the, the Chad, my lad, he goes on and says, uh, I'm watching porn. <laughs> it's like, bro, he took a bullet there. He took a bullet. A teenage boy ever admitting that, yeah, I was watching porn. That's a, that's a Chad move. You know, bravo, bravo. I, I really also like the news broadcast we give with Betty Brandt and the other character that I forgot his name. They're pretty funny. I, I, I actually, you know, on a side tangent, I like Flash's take here. Like, he's definitely much of an updated bully. I also like how, because they're in the special school, that's more that's more akin to Miles Morales, you know, version of Spider-Man, where instead of being like Midtown High, it's like a more specialized school for smart kids a school that would that i would have never gone to (laughs) but no i like this take on flash you know just being yeah he's like a very egotistical rich kid who is very spoiled as well who's very entitled he's a karen in the making but they also show that, oh, he's still a fan of Spider-Man. But anyway, back on the humor, I, I also love the teachers. I like uh, the gym teacher in Homecoming. After he shows the Captain America video, he's like, I'm pretty sure this guy's a war fugitive. <laughs> he's a fugitive now, but we still got to show these videos. And him in detention, just like, hey, you can't leave. Hey, what what are you doing here? You don't even have attention. <laughs> he was great, and I loved the two teachers in Far From Home. I think the one was uh, what was that? The trivia, can, you know, club or something? The triathlon. I don't remember the name of it. Uh, the problem is, I watched these movies way too far apart unfortunately it's it's just how my schedule came out to be so my memory of homecoming is a little little more spotty but i 
watched Far From Home last night, so I'm good with Far From Home. But I, I love the humor with uh, him just like, oh, we, you know, nobody, like, we didn't have a kid die on this field trip. Not again. Just that little dark humor. I also love the scene on the airplane where he's like perfume allergy, where he blows everything out of proportion. And I like uh, the comedic consequences Peter has for trying to trying to have, you know, like, oh, I want to get, you know, sit next to MJ, you know, and he tries to get Ned to do it. And what happens is, you know, to help him out. I should say, what happens is, well, the perfume scene, you know, just like, oh, no, Peter, you're now stuck sitting with the teachers, and MJ's now stuck sitting with Brad, <laughs> you know. So, yeah, I, I, I generally like the humor here. Now, real quick, before I get to my main point of what I like, I, I just got to mention that while I was watching Far From Home, I know some some smart dialogue you know i i don't think the writers get enough credit here you know credit with the like mcu blockbuster movies in general i feel like writers don't get that much credit but i really want to give the writers credit here for far from home in a scene <coughs> sorry in a scene where peter's talking with Aunt may over the phone it was right after the hydro man battle. That's what I'm calling him. I know they're called the Elementals, but I'm calling him Hydro Man. But anyway, Aunt May is talking about you know, how are th you know, asking how, how are things going with MJ and Peter's like, well, there's been some setbacks. And Aunt May gives him the advice of you know, don't overthink it. Trust your instincts. And how that's pretty smart is that while that's you know, at that moment, is talking about Peter, like, in a literal sense, if you look at it literally, it's talking about, oh, it's just referring to Peter trying to get, you know, trying to ask MJ out. But it translates very well as, like, a foreshadowing moment of what Peter needs to do in order to beat Mysterio. Like, it's, like, great advice that was meant for one thing but is used for a different thing for his for the movie like for spider-man because the way spider-man had to defeat mysterio was to not overthink it to not overanalyze and you know get so caught up in the visuals and just trust his instincts aka his spider sense or his peter tingle whatever you like to call it so i think that was very smart and it's also very like a very much natural, you know, thing to say, you know, to anyone, you know, trying to, you know, asking, you know, for advice on asking someone else. If you get what I'm saying, I know that's a, that was a weird sentence that I just said, but you get the point. It's a very natural dialogue. And then another moment in Far From Home where I caught oh, that's actually pretty smart. Right there is when Brad, you know, catches Peter with his pants down, you know, and the misunderstanding, and Brad says, 
MJ deserves the truth. And that actually feels, you know, great because in a way he is right. And that's why the really, you know, how and why Peter and MJ are finally able to start going out is that Peter tells MJ the truth. Because you can see in the moment where Peter was about to ask, you know, MJ out, MJ interrupts and says you're spider-man and peter just keeps lying and lying and you know you can see in that moment is that because peter was you know still trying to keep that disguise that it wasn't going to work out for asking mj out you know there would never work out a relationship between mj and peter because peter was still keeping his secret identity from her. It only works if it was when MJ knows the truth and actually, you know, is told Peter is, you know, Spider-Man from Peter. Like Peter tells her, I'm Spider-Man and I screwed up. So yeah. Anyway, last point, and I know I've been talking so long. Woof. I guess I had a lot to like about this, but don't worry, I'll get to my dislikes in a little bit. But the one thing I like is that now I know this is like a common criticism how you know part of the reason why people think this doesn't feel like Spider Man is how it doesn't really betrays, you know, great power, great responsibility, really. Or or just like it doesn't feel like it does, but in my opinion, after watching these movies, it shows Peter being irresponsible, but having consequences for his irresponsibility and learning how he has to be responsible. Like he has to be like reminded of what responsibility really is and homecoming. He's being irresponsible with the suit that Tony gave him. And the consequence was he got the suit taken away and also damaged his relationship with Tony, you know, with his mentor. And he also, you know, damaged his reputation at school, like not in social status, but mostly academic status where it's like, yeah. You're lucky you're getting a second chance here, kid. But in Far From Home, his irresponsibility here is that he's trying to avoid the responsibility that he is Spider-Man. Like, he's trying to take a break, you know, and we can empathize with him wanting to take a break. You know, that's another thing, too, is that we can sympathize with Peter and these decisions, but when you look at it, he's also being irresponsible here. Like, yeah, we can sympathize. Like, I don't want, like, I gotta be careful with Far From Home, because I don't want to make it sound like, oh, taking a break is bad. But, no, it's more of what Peter was trying to do in Far From Home, he's just like, no, I'm neglecting, you know, 
my responsibility as Spider-Man, and I don't want to push it onto another superhero. Why can't someone else do it? And it's like, no, Peter, that's not what being a superhero is. You're not, like, I'm sorry, kid. Great power. You got, you know, you have the responsibility to use it, you know, when it's needed. You can't just ignore, you know, when things are in crisis. Like, you can't be like, oh, I I know the world's, you know, about to end, but I, I'm on vacation, okay, you know. And the consequence is, because he was trying to shove his responsibility onto another superhero, he ended up getting giving Edith to Mysterio, which caused a much bigger threat than what really was there, which was just an illusion. You know, and part of it was, you know, Mysterio being very manipulative to Peter. But anyway... Yeah, it's showing us, you know, the consequences of irresponsibility. So it's not without having to tell us great power, great responsibility. Even though they mention responsibility a couple times, you know, and the movies, like these two movies, it's definitely more of a, they are showing it throughout the movie, not just, say, one part of the movie. Anyway, that that's what I like about the movie. So let's go through the points where I dislike about these two movies. And yeah, I know I've been rambling a lot, a lot, a lot. I'm very much over 45 minutes in. But thankfully or unthankfully, I guess, depends your point of view, is let's go with what I dislike about these movies and i'm just gonna give it the big one is that kind of a lack of uncle ben like not the character and i don't mean i i don't think we needed to see him getting you know shot again and going through the origin again i don't think we needed that no but it felt that uncle ben definitely got shafted like i'm not asking for him to be constantly referencing Uncle Ben or anything. And it was nice that we got that suitcase with his initials. But at the same time, that suitcase also got blown up. But it very much felt like Uncle Ben who? You know, just, you know, and I can't get, and this is where I get why people are like, kind of don't like Spider-Man because... I mean, not Spider-Man, Iron Man in these movies is that Iron Man kind of takes that role of Uncle Ben. And I th- I think it wouldn't be as bad if these movies kind of just mention him, at least, you know, or at least show his importance because Uncle Ben is very much an important part to Spider-Man's character. Now, we have Spider-Man Freshman Year coming out with... In that new animated series, whenever that comes out, I'm hoping Uncle Ben is there for a couple episodes. Like I, I hope we actually see Uncle Ben in the MCU in some way and form. 
other than just that one mention in the What If Zombies episode where he, he finally got name dropped. But I, I just wish something, you know, like how Spider-Verse, Into the Spider-Verse, how that handled Uncle Ben. You know, that, I think they just, you know, it's like, oh, they mentioned Uncle Ben, you know, real quick to show his importance, and then they move on. You know, that's all, that's all I was asking. And, hey, who knows, maybe we'll get that in No Way Home. Maybe we will see that, you know, Uncle Ben reference. It's, you know, maybe I should listen to these podcasts because I feel like I'm just talking a bit too much or... Not too much, but I mean, like, too fast. Where I'm just going like this, and blah, 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 blah. You know, yeah, my words are just mixing in together. I gotta work on slowing down and enunciating. But anyway, that was a weird tangent. Uh, but whatever. Very early podcast. Uh, I, I t- I'm hoping the goal is to have this podcast to be finally good quality. Around the 50 episode mark. Hopefully. that We'll see. But... Anyway, yeah, I think they need to at least mention Uncle Ben a bit more. Or just at least acknowledge him in these two movies. Uh, Another thing I don't like is kind of just a constant MCU crossover. Like, okay, I know this sounds kind of a bit, you know, hypocritical because I went on earlier and be like, Oh, I like, you know, how, like, this take of the MCU, how it takes it to the street level. What I'm talking about, and this is, I guess, a criticism I'm having of No Way Home off the bat, is that I don't like how Spider-Man is constantly being crossed over with Iron Man or Nick Fury and now Doctor Strange. You know, it's just like, no, just just let Spider-Man have his own movie. Marvel, please, stop babysitting him doesn't need Nick Fury to babysit. Oh, and I think and Homecoming, it's fine though, because and there, at the end, it's like oh, Peter you know, learns to be his own hero at the end of that movie, but it, it's just, it felt, it feels worse and far from home, because one, you got the whole, because this just came out after Endgame where they're like, Iron Man's dead, and now I got shoes to fill. So I, I do like that aspect of Peter putting a lot of expectations and stress on himself. You know, putting the world on his shoulders. That's very much a Peter Parker attribute. I just, I don't know, maybe like tone it down. Uh, it's just with that on top of Nick Fury showing up and having that crossover and just him being more in the film more than I think he should have. And just kind of, it felt a little bit of a retread of homecoming there. I gotta admit, didn't really like that so much, you know, just, I, I just want Spider-Man to be on his own a bit. That's all. That's all I want. And next point I have in the dislikes is what I'm calling Iron Man Shadow Syndrome. And I touched about it just now with that last criticism I have. But yeah, it's more of just 
Peter constantly being in the shadow of Iron Man. And I think... And that's a lot of, like... A lot of MCU heroes now is that... I think MCU is trying to find the next Iron Man. So they kind of have to... Everything's under the shadow of Tony Stark. Because Tony Stark was a great character. Like, a very lovable character. You know, to a lot of audiences, and the series are looking for that, but so they can't, they can't get out of his shadow, and that's very much reminiscent of just shoehorning in the Iron Spider suit, like the Iron Spider suit, at the beginning of Far From Home. Like, I think the Iron Spider suit was like inclusion was fine. In say Infinity War and Endgame. Because that. That was a big. Intergalactic threat. And we need all guns blazing. I get it there. But. He didn't need to wear the iron spider suit. When he's at. A feast. Uh, I don't know. Press conference. Or what was that. Uh, I don't know what it was called. Shoot but. Anyway, charity event. Charity event. There we go. He he didn't need to wear the Iron Spider suit at the charity event and talking with, you know, press about, you know, the next being the next of Iron Man or whatnot. He could have just worn his regular suit. And speaking of suits, the Night Monkey suit. It was a nice little joke of calling him Night Monkey, but at the same time, just. It doesn't make much sense. Like the whole reasoning of. Oh he has to wear this suit. Because nobody's gonna. People will be like. Oh. Peter is Spider-Man. Because of Washington DC. And it's just the logic is not really there. Especially since. MJ still figured it out. Peter still had. You know had to disappear. So. And he still looks like Spider-Man. Just. And black. So yeah, it just it didn't make sense to have that, you know, be the reason why. Like, I don't know. It was def- like the problem is with Far From Home, and the, like I know I've been bashing Far From Home a lot. And don't worry, I- I'm gonna get into some homecoming criticisms, but I need to get through Far From Home and. The reason why I think me and a lot of other people don't like the inclusion of these suits or just Peter having too many suits to change out of is that it just feels too much like a commercial. It's like we really feel like, okay, you're you're trying to sell us the toy. You're trying to sell kids the toys. This feels way too much like that. And I think that's a big problem with the MCU is just... They got into the, oh, we need to change the suits because we need to sell the toys. Yeah. You know, so I guess in that sense, that's where I'm like, uh, where Far From Home really felt too much like a commercial at times. But anyway, let's go with some criticisms I have for Homecoming. And one is the lack of chemistry between Liz and Peter. I... I just genuinely did not see 
Like I can see Peter having a crush on Liz. I can see that. But I couldn't see really Liz going out with Peter. It just it felt way too awkward of a relationship. There wasn't much time fleshed out for them to interact with each other for Liz to be like, Oh yeah, I actually like Peter Park, you know, like Peter Parker. Or as Flash calls him, Penis Parker. I, I actually like that insult. That that's a good insult. But yeah, it's just one of those like I, I didn't really feel that chemistry. Like unlike say Zendaya and Tom's chemistry chemistry and far from home and that's probably due with the you know uh every, like the speculation or confirm i don't know what it is but the relationship between the two actors but even then the chemistry in far from home between mj and peter feels so much more fleshed out versus what liz and peter had in homecoming that just felt very tacked on it, it it just didn't feel natural. It felt very awkward, very cringe, very cringe. I hate how I have to say the word cringe. Thank you. Thank you, Homecoming. Jeez. But, and another knock, and this, I, and just to let you know, like, these dislikes are not major dislikes or criticisms. These are more nitpicks, you know, for the most part. But, I'm just going to go with this last point is that MJ kind of felt very understated in homecoming. Just she felt because I really liked her, you know, more active role in far from home. I really liked that. I, I just didn't like the problem is, you know, and yeah, I love Peter's and Ned's, you know, romance and homecoming, but it just felt that MJ should have been, a more prominent character in Homecoming. She just felt too minor. They put her too much in backbone, you know, back burner. You know, and I think part of that is, you know, forcing the Liz Allen relationship. But anyway, that's my thoughts. And this, <laughs> I'm already over an hour. No, not over, but almost an hour is just my thoughts on the movie. And I need to get to John versus Critics. Which is coming about, coming up, you know, right about now, after I stop the recording and take a break. So be right back. Alrighty, welcome back to John versus Critics, the other portion of this podcast. Now, unlike last week where I had trouble finding negative reviews, I actually had too many negative reviews for this episode and I actually had to cut two out and just making it to have it be one per film like I had with the previous two episodes but yeah homecoming especially I had I had an easy time but no I just chose the long one of course <laughs> but anyway let's start with spider-man homecoming of course, I get these reviews from the lovely, lovely users of IMDb. The most accurate ratings on the entire internet in terms of a movie, uh, terms of a movie's quality. So anyway, this review is titled A Complete Disgrace and is written 
to us by Anthony WLTRS. So, and this was actually written pretty recently of August of this year. Alright, so. This review I'm about to make will not be popular. And I'm sure there will be many that will intentionally say my review is unhelpful, despite the fact that this is my opinion. Okay, so, you know, he fully admits that it's like, hey, just, you know, he's putting it out there, and this is fair, that this is his opinion. You know, and, you know he's right. They are right. Yeah. This is their opinion. But, wait, there's some a bit more. And really, if anyone loves this film, then you're not a real Spider-Man fan. Oh no! Oh no! We got we got someone who thinks that if you like this film, I don't like, then you're a fake fan. Man, that that's actually kind of hypocritical. Just like this is my opinion, but if you like this movie, you're wrong. So you're saying that it's like, oh, I like here's the thing. This this is a subjective take, but. In reality, I think it's an objective fact that this movie sucks. So we are off to a lovely start here, folks. Alright, next paragraph. Never in my life have I seen... No, I'm sorry. Never in my life when seeing a comic book movie, let alone a Spider-Man movie, have I ever been so pissed off and disgusted until watching Homecoming for my first and only time. What in the hell were Marvel thinking? This movie is not only the worst comic book movie since Batman and Robin, it is completely disrespectful to the Spider-Man mythos. The movie insults your intelligence. It really does. Okay. Worse than Batman and Robin. Alright, well, 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 first of all, I know a couple of superhero movies that are worse than Batman and Robin, or at least they are in my opinion. But I don't think Homecoming is by the levels of Batman and Robin. Let's, uh... Yeah, you sure about that? You sure it's worse than Batman and Robin? <laughs> like, that that's, uh... You know what, maybe, maybe they got a point, and maybe I just don't have any taste. Or I'm not a real Spider-Man fan. Even though, <laughs> you know, even though I would argue otherwise. But anyway, anyway, let's go on. Tom Holland is the worst Spider-Man of all time, and if anyone loves him, well, then you don't know Spider-Man at all, and you're wrong. Okay, so not only are you wrong for liking him, you just no. First of all, you won't, you don't know who Spider-Man is at all at all if you if you like Tom Holland, but also you're wrong. Not not just wrong in that opinion, but wrong in life. Everything you do is wrong, according to this review, of course. Anyway, so, but why? Why are we wrong if we like Tom Holland as Spider-Man? Well, he claims his Spider-Man is whiny, a hardcore groupie of the Avengers, pathetic crybaby, and completely dependent on Tony Stark. Except for the ending, you know, climax where it's revealed that Spider- you know, that's kind of the whole point that Spider-Man is not supposed to rely on the Avengers to help him out. But anyway, what oh, pathetic whiny crybaby and completely depend. Yeah, again, the whole depend on Tony Stark. The whole movie's message was him 
to rely on his own strength. Or at least that was part of the message, you know, just Peter having to rely on himself and not on the suit. So you kind of missed that part. You know, and a hardcore groupie of the Avengers, I mean, he's always been a fanboy of other superheroes. I mean, in the first issue of Amazing Spider-Man, he literally tries to join the Fantastic Four. Just saying. Just saying. You know, pathetic crybaby and, you know, and whiny. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, first of all, he's like a teenager. He's like 16 in the movie something like that you know i think he's got every like we were all riny cry babies in our teenage years I, I i know i was i was a cry baby when i was a teenager i will fully admit that you know and i'll fully admit i'm a cry baby now but anyway with that awkward silence out of the way and it's funny to this person to say that when it's been memed to death that Toby was the crybaby because of all those tears in the movies. But even though I don't think that version of Peter is a crybaby or any of the versions here are crybabies, but that that's quite the take. But anyway, he goes on and says, seriously, instead of saving New York on his own or just go out protecting citizens, this Spidey is crying and begging to Tony Stark to either join the Avengers or give him an important mission. Again, the movies... I'm sorry, laying you on a little secret. The point is, the moral of the movie's lesson is as Peter is learning that he's more of a friendly neighborhood superhero. That he's the guy who protects the little guys. It, 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 so, you know, here's the thing. Part of the thing that makes Vulture great as a villain as well is that part of, you know, part of it, he's right. You know, and Peter realizes that Vulture was right in some sense that a lot of the big heroes kind of forget the little guy. So Peter makes the decision at the end of the movie to stay helping the, you know, stay to help the little guy. That was the lesson he learned. That was the point of the movie. I know it's shocking, but I'm just letting you know right now. And and so the review, he goes on and says, Okay, first of all, Spider-Man is own superhero who is completely independent not needing any missions or be part of a team. Even though other media, Spider-Man media, like here's the thing, yeah, Spider-Man a lot of the times is fighting on his own. But at the same time, there's as many media where he's fighting with other superheroes. I mean, I grew up watching Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And even the like shows where he's fighting alone, for most of the time, like the 90s Spider-Man, he teamed up on it, you know, sometimes. And heck, in the comics, he teamed up as well with other heroes. So I, I don't know what you're talking about. And also, they show the Spider-Man being independent. Again, he defeats the villain on his own at the end of the movie. 
Anyway, he finishes off this paragraph by saying he certainly doesn't need some techno-billionaire to give him handouts. Again, my good fellow. That's the point. That's the point of the you know of his arc of Peter you know learning that yeah I don't need the tech and I can rely on my own powers and you know be myself you know rely on my own strengths and whatnot that was the point of his arc but anyway wait, wait he goes on after that and says yes Spider-Man has joined the Avengers in the comics but there is a huge difference please please do tell also, we get a young Aunt May. Okay, I guess don't explain why it's a huge difference in the comics. But anyway, we, you get a young Aunt May who doesn't even act like Aunt May at all, which is a complete fail. Is there really a defining trait of Aunt May? Just, just curious. I mean, this is a different take of Aunt May, and I don't know. She, she's, she's still Aunt May. She still cares about Peter's safety. She still cares for Peter. You know, I, I don't get how this version of Aunt May is a betrayal, you know, a betrayal of anything. But anyway, instead of having Harry Osborn, Mary Jane, or Gwen around, Homecoming and MCU in general completely disregards and ignore these central characters. Instead, you get an annoying, unfunny character named Ned. And some girl whose nickname is MJ. Um, no. Just no. She's not MJ. And will never be. Don't even get me started on Flash. <laughs> I'm sorry. Just how it's written is just... No. Uh, I'm actually no. Just no. You're wrong. I hate this movie. You know, it's just very angry. And my thing is, I'm actually reading the first, you know, few issues of... Amazing Spider-Man, you know, back in the 60s, MJ wasn't there at the beginning. Neither was Harry Osborn. You know, and also Ned is actually based on a character from Spidey Comics. You know, Ned is actually, or at least gets his name from, the like, one of the Hobgoblins. <laughs> but, yeah, just, just chill. Chill, it's a movie. Okay, don't don't hurt it, please. <laughs> Just calm down. But anyway, he won't calm down, and he's going to continue on. And says, "While this movie didn't necessarily need to include Uncle Ben in person, but from what I've seen in Homecoming, he is ignored completely, and instead, Peter just dotes on Tony Stark." Again, I I gotta give a point. Like I mentioned in my dislikes, I didn't like that bar. But anyway, sorry I interrupted this same sense. Let me continue on. He dotes on Tony Stark like a pathetic groupie wanting an autograph from him. Well, he want, yeah, he's trying to be like his idol. Again, you're, you're missing a... I think you uh, left a bit too early at the movie. I think you stopped a bit too early. Just saying. Although I will say the only good thing this movie ever did was not do another origin movie. We've seen enough to know how Peter becomes Spider-Man, but everything else in this movie and other MCU Spider-Man movies have shown are a complete fail and a disgrace. Well, first of all, I'm I'm shocked. I'm shocked we got a compliment out of him. But also, uh, 
and other MCU Spidey Spider-Man movies. Well, at the time you were writing this, there was only one other Spider-Man MCU movie. So, just saying. Anyway, he goes on and says, After watching Homecoming, I refused. He refused. Past tense. To watch any more movies to solely to do with Holland Spider-Man unless Tobey Maguire is actually confirmed for third MCU Spider-Man movie. Unlike what the rumor suggests that he is. Toby and Sam Raimi understood Spider-Man with their movies, aging super well and respecting the mythos. As much as I love Michael Keaton and his role as Vulture, whoa, another compliment. Settle down. Settle down. Even he wasn't enough to save this movie for me. Oh, okay, we're back to this in the movie. And then he finishes off and says, hell, even the amazing Spider-Man movies are better and more respectful compared to this garbage. And just to let you know, 6 out of 13 people found this helpful. Huh. Well, he found more people thought it helpful than he probably thought, but I didn't think it was helpful. I think, see, the problem, and let me critique your review, sir. You did not explain your points very well, like uh, saying what... You didn't explain what the huge difference was between Spider-Man joining the Avengers of the comics and here in the MCU. Didn't explain that, but... Anyway, thank you for that lovely reading material. Anthony Walters? I'm, I'm thinking that's what it is. You know. But anyway, thank you for that lovely review. Let's go on to the next one for Far From Home. This one's going to be shorter, quite thankfully. And, yeah, we're, we're good on time. The review is called No Teenage Huero. I think that's how it's pronounced. It's spelled H-R-E-R-O. So, Huero. Huero. I don't know what Huero is, but... It, uh, let's see. It's written by Pete Spagnola. So let's say what Pete has to say. I was very disappointed in this Spider-Man movie. Oh, by the way, this was right around the time the movie came out in theaters for Far From Home. Anyway, sorry. I was very disappointed in Spider-Man in this Spider-Man movie and the last one. I realized the majority of reviewers seem to think it is a great movie. Please explain why. Do not just say it was great. Give me details. I'm starting to read them like J, like I was uh, J. Jonah Jameson, and now I just demand pictures of Spider-Man all of a sudden. I, I'm craving those pictures of Spider-Man. Anyway, the reasons I did not like this movie follows. And this incarnation of Spider-Man is portrayed... Well, well, wait, okay, first of all, there is a problem with this review. You are not spelling Spider-Man correctly. You're, you're not spelling him with the hyphen. The God Doc points for that one. That's not good. Anyway. And this our incarnation of Spider-Man is portrayed as an awkward teenager that lacks confidence. Well, I mean, I don't want to be that guy, but have you read the comics? Or have you seen the Sam Raimi trilogy at least? 
Peter Parker was not very much of a confident dude. But, anyway, who wants a hero that lacks confidence and is awkward? A lot of people. A lot of people like, I don't know, a hero that they can relate to. Just saying, people tend to like flawed heroes. It, it, it's a weird thing, I know, but me and others tend to find flawed heroes are kind of cool and kind of awesome to root for. But apparently, he goes on and says, Not me. I want a superhero that betrays himself as confident and able to believe. Believe. He, he spells believe without any. Able to believe he can handle any emergency or supervillain he may have to face. Save your awkward teenage superheroes for. No, save your awkward teenage heroes. For the Disney Channel. Have you not seen the amazing Spider-Man? <laughs> I'm just saying. He was quite the awkward teenager. And amazing Spider-Man. And Peter Parker. As a character in general. He's awkward. Anyway. There was not much action. Displaying Spider-Man fighting his superhero skills. Hang on. I gotta get a water. I, my throat is killing me. <clears throat> there we go. Anyway, there was not much action displaying Spider-Man fighting his superhero skills. Well, there was the scene in Venice, the Night Monkey scene, uh, the fight on London Bridge, the dream sequence. Oh, I forgot to mention real quick, real quick. One of the things I like about Far From Home is the dream sequence. Or not dream sequence, but the Mysterio illusion sequence when he's messing with Peter Parker. That whole scene, I love that scene. Where Mysterio tricks Peter into revealing MJ and Ned. That was such a visually great sequence. Ah, but anyway. There was a... The reviewer goes on and says, There was a scene where he fought the giant made of water. Okay. His webbing doesn't work against it. Yeah, I mean, webs don't really stick to water that well. That That's a, that's a fact, yes. So, okay. All he does is try to use a portion of a building to block some of the flooding caused by the giant. Cool, yes, because, you know, in the scene, there's also Mysterio, who, at this part of the movie, everyone thinks is a hero, is, you know, effective at fighting the water monster. Peter's trying to help people. I don't know. That's what he's supposed to do. <coughs> Sorry about that. The only time he looks like a hero is the last 10 minutes of the movie when he uses his spider sense to defeat Mysterio. I mean, I would argue there was other moments, but sure. Whatever you say. Hardly enough action for a two-hour movie. Maybe the younger crowd, teenager, and early 20s like this version of Spider-Man. Well, yeah, I was definitely in my early 20s when in 2019. 
Jesus, I can't believe that was like two years ago. But yeah, what? You know, I like this hero, but anyway, you know, uh, maybe they can relate to him better as the average man. I mean, that's a lot of people. A lot of people, not just kids, teens, early twenties. I'm sure a lot of people like to relate to the average man. But this person, he says, I don't want my superhero portrayed as the average man. I want him portrayed as a confident, powerful hero. I will not spend time or money to see another Spider-Man movie unless they reboot the format. This was, in my opinion, a horrible movie. Because apparently, lack of confidence is, is not a good superhero. You gotta... In order to be a superhero, kid, you gotta have confidence. No confidence, no business. I guess, uh... I would say go watch Superman, but... Oh, wait. He also has times where he lacks confidence. Okay, go watch Batman. Oh, no way, he doubts himself as well. How about Iron Man? Oh, no. He, he second-guesses himself as well. Man, I, I don't know, man. I, I think you're finding... You know, some heroes with some confidence issues, like quite a bit, who constantly second-guess themselves. I don't know where you're going to find that super confident hero. But anyway, thank you for that lovely review. And thank you, people on the web, for listening to another Long Ramble podcast episode of John vs. Film. Remember to follow me on the social links down below in the description. Hopefully I will have my website up by the time this comes out. But we'll see. Still got to work on it as the time of this recording. And next week will be an interesting one as I will have on the next episode stinger at the end. But yeah, anyway, social links down below. Make sure to follow and also follow me on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Yeah, those are the places the podcast is going to be at. And as always, thank you again for listening. And I hope you guys have a fantastic, no, an amazing, no, a spectacular, a spectacular day. Take care. On the next episode of John vs. Fell, villains of movies past return to the present as Spidey's future is uncertain after No Way Home. Join John in this special Christmas episode where he tackles the new film. Happy Holidays!